you have your Bibles, turn to Lamentations chapter 5. Lamentations chapter 5. Men will allow God to be everywhere but on His throne. They allow Him to be in His workshop to fashion worlds and make stars. They will allow Him to be in His almonry to dispense His alms and bestow His bounties. They will allow Him to sustain the earth and bear up the pillars thereof, or light the lamps of heaven, or rule the waves of the ever-moving ocean. But when God ascends His throne, His creatures then gnash their teeth. And we proclaim an enthroned God and His right to do as He wills with His own, to dispose of His creatures as He thinks well, without consulting them in the, man, in the matter. Then it is that we are hissed and, and execrated. And then it is that men turn a deaf ear to us, for God on His throne is not the God they love. But it is God upon the throne that we love to preach. It is God upon His throne whom we trust. Charles Spurgeon. You see, today as we're closing out the book of Lamentations, we want to be reminded of the absolute sovereignty of God. What we mean by sovereign is that God has the authority to do anything He chooses with His creation. And that creation includes all of us. There are no limits to the rule of God. He can do as He pleases. Hence the word sovereign. Apart from His divine working, we would never long for Him. In fact, as Jeremiah points out here, as we close, He is the one that brings us back to Himself. So this morning we're going to be looking at two things here as we close out the book of Lamentations. Number one, an eternal God, verses 19 through 20. And number two, a restored people, verses 21 through 22. So number one, an eternal God. Verses 19 through 20. You, O Lord, remain forever. Your throne from generation to generation. Why do you forget us forever and forsake us for so long a time? As Jeremiah concludes his lament, there is a reminder of the eternity and the eternal God who called his people. God is eternal with no beginning or end. His throne remains forever. He remains forever. Eternity is something that should be on our minds constantly, but not just eternity itself, but our eternal God. Jeremiah with his people were suffering because an eternal God purposed to use their enemies to bring His people back to Him. That is always the purpose, by the way, believer, of divine discipline that God wants to bring us back to Himself. God who is eternal has a right to do as He pleases. In fact, we see this truth in Psalm 115, verse 3. But our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. God cannot be coerced to do anything outside of His purposes and owes no one an explanation for the way He operates. The fact that many of us get angry at Him when we're hurting and when certain things happen in our lives doesn't negate the fact that He is still absolutely sovereign. The truth is we don't like to submit to that sovereignty. The truth is we think we know better than He does. In fact, 
It shows us many times that we've not allowed that truth of God's absolute sovereignty to sink into our hearts. For many of us, it's a mental exercise that we have never had penetrate our hearts many times. And if it has, we have to learn and relearn that lesson over and over again, do we not? The unfortunate debate is always, among many, how sovereign God actually is. Is He partially sovereign or will He change His mind based on mere moral agent's behavior? Well, Numbers 23.19 tells us that there's a very big difference between us and God. Here's what it says. God is not a man that He should lie, nor a son of man that He should repent. Has He said, and will He not do? Or has He spoken, and will He not make it good? When God is doing something that is according to His purpose and plan, it never changes. Because He never changes. The duration of whatever He accomplishes is not determined by any of us, but by His own mercy and justice. In fact, God the Father did not even spare His own Son to pay the penalty for His children's sin. In Romans 8.32, the famous chapter on God's purpose in our lives, that we know those things work together for good, it says this in verse 32, that He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? In order for us to appreciate the sovereignty of God, we need to appreciate the justice of God that was poured out on His own Son, Jesus Christ. The Father cared enough for us as His children to sacrifice His own beloved Son. Because God cared enough to offer His Son on our behalf, that should assure us that He cares enough for us and will deliver on every promise He has made to us. To Jeremiah's concern at the end here that the people of Judah were now forgotten forever, God provided a remedy in His blessing His people with a future promise. And that future promise was a Messiah that He would one day send to them. One that suffered with His people and on behalf of His people. People have lived and died Kingdoms rise and fall, but God's throne remains forever and will not be removed from generation to generation. You and I can be assured that whatever our last day is on this earth, our children will have a God that is still there. Now parents, I want you to let that sink in. Many of us are so concerned that when we pass, everything will fall apart. God is always there and will always be there. He is steady, never changing, unmovable. We are fickle. We change with the wind many times. We're faithful one day, unfaithful another. We take for granted many times the absolute sovereignty of God because we don't believe it enough many times in the way that we live. If you believe God is absolutely sovereign, then what do you and I have to worry about about tomorrow? It's all in His hand, is it not? You and I can be assured that when our children are there and we are gone, God will still be their fortress. God will still be there for them, for His own. 
That is why leaving them with a God focus is so much more important than trying to set them on a great career path. Because all of those things can and will fade at some point. Riches will fade. Scripture plainly says that. The question is not if, it's a question of when. Israel, or the people of Judah, particularly in this text, did not expect all those things that they had worked so hard for to be taken away. And yet they were. Jesus Christ should be our priority more so than anything else that we possess. Because He will always be there even when we are gone. Your retirement account may not always be there. I'm sure a lot of people are experiencing quite a bit of loss the last couple years. The balance was a lot higher a couple years ago, was it not? The guaranteed job that you had is not so guaranteed. The stability that we banked on is not there in our society anymore. The only thing that's secure is God Himself. That's the only thing that's secure. When you've got everything taken away, all you really have left is God. That's it. As the writer of Hebrews puts it, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is why your reliance and my reliance should be on Him. God's sovereignty should be embraced and not rejected. Many today in the Christian faith do not like the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. To the point that we've elevated man's status on par with God's. Man is sovereign alongside with God in our society. Or so it seems by many in the Christian faith. It is knowing God is sovereign that we can rest in our future being secure, believer. Philippians 1.6, and I know many of you know this, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Your only assurance that you're going to make it to the end in your faith is that God Himself will make sure you make it to the end. Because your performance is terrible. My performance is terrible. When we are faithless, He is faithful. It is God that's going to make sure we make it through. It is knowing God is sovereign that we know everything in this life works for good. Everything in this life works for good. The verse you've probably heard quoted more than any other verse, Romans 8, 28. Right? We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called or the called according to His purpose. God is the one that works those things for good. We don't. It is God's purpose that will stand. Now just stop and think about it for a moment. All of us think we'll make a wrong decision that will ruin everything in our future, right? Sometimes, I've, I don't know if you've ever thought through that in life. I made this wrong decision, I'm now doomed. There's no hope, I've blown it. And we forget that God still works things behind the scenes. God sees the bigger picture. You ever drawn something and you made a mistake and you saw someone that could draw much better than you take over and fix that mistake and make it still into a beautiful picture. 
That's essentially what God does with our lives. Where we mess up, where we do things that really are opposed to Him, He's taking over, if you will, and saying, you know what? Here's what I'm drawing here. Here's what I'm painting in your life. Here's my purpose. You cannot escape the sovereignty of God. I cannot escape the sovereignty of God. This country cannot escape the sovereignty of God and how it was formed and how God's blessed and how God's cursed. You see, the truth is, God knew where you would be today. He knew where you were yesterday. He knows where you'll be tomorrow. None of that escapes Him. You see, He knew the decision you'd made years ago that's affecting you now, and He's working out those circumstances out for good if you're His child. You are absolutely miserable many times because you simply continue to rely on yourself, and I continue to rely on myself, instead of submitting to the absolute sovereignty of God. God's placed people in your life to be a help that you're refusing to hear, and you'd prefer to go through it all over again instead of coming back to Him. If you're going through suffering, believer, I want you to understand that there is a greater purpose behind it. It is not for naught. Charles Spurgeon says this, There is no attribute of God more comforting to His children than the doctrine of divine sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances and the most severe troubles, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. Do you believe that? I mean, you come to Sovereign Grace Church, right? Do you believe that? That God is really working sovereignly in my own life. And I'm willing to submit to that even when it's difficult. Everything in this life and eternity is overseen by a sovereign God. Even when it seems He has forsaken His own, as in Jeremiah's perspective here, and His plea, in the final lament, it seems there's no more hope. It's all lost. Maybe God has forgotten us. God has been faithful. There's never an expiration for Him. There's no end, if you will, to God's mercy for His own. Oh, there may be chastening, but there is still mercy as well. All is not lost if God is eternal. And that means, just as the poet Alexander Pope once said, hope springs eternal. Stop giving up, believer, as if it all depends on you, because it doesn't. It doesn't depend on us. It depends on Him. We live, move, and have our being because of a God who is sovereign. You woke up this morning because of a God who is sovereign. Stop giving up as if it all depends on you. It doesn't. Your way back is restoration, believer. Number two, a restored people. Verses 21 through 22. Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. 
renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are very angry with us. What a prayer. What a simple, short, direct prayer. Turn us back to you, O Lord. I don't think we understand that Jeremiah really saw what many of us don't see, that it is God himself that brings his people back to himself. When you pray for somebody that may be walking away from God or maybe has never encountered God, do you pray knowing that God himself is the one that can work in that person's life? Or are you praying with this trust in man's will and freedom thereof. Because the truth is, even with God's own, God works in their hearts and their lives. The truth is, a person that God can use is the one that realizes their own inability. Is that not the way we all came to God originally? I can't do it! I've tried everything, I've failed. Whether it's a lot of religious activity or completely a carnal, worldly, sinful lifestyle, nothing I'm doing adds up to anything of value. And it's when we're humble and say, God, I need what you only can give, that we come to saving faith. That God opens our eyes to our need for Him. That we have a desire for the Son. You see, one of the most dangerous beliefs of our time is self-determination, which is taught by our self-help books, which, believe it or not, I actually personally enjoy reading. Though there may be better results due to better habits in relation to God, we will always fall apart. You may have some better results based on your behavior. But when it comes to your relationship with God, if you're doing it apart from His working of the Holy Spirit, you're going to fail every time. The results will not be extended. You will not be walking faithfully. It always falls apart. Which is why so many disciples of Christ keep failing to live upright lives because they think they can do it on their own. Don't believe the paradigm that if you just do certain religious practices, that settles it. If God is apart from those religious practices, you don't want what really matters. You and I can pray for all the wrong reasons. We can read the Word for all the wrong reasons. We can fellowship with other believers for all the wrong reasons. If that reason isn't Him, and knowing Him more personally and intimately, then we've lost the meaning. You see, the problem is many of us, we argue this, if I had just this, fill in the blank, I wouldn't be going through this right now. Only to find out that if they have X, the result is still the same, is it not? How many of you have ever asked God for something, God gave it to you, and it's still similar results? It is almost as if the problem really is, if you were to be honest, you. Not what he gave you. 
Because the truth is, God can give us all sorts of things. He can give us plenty of money, a lack of money, and it's not necessarily going to determine whether or not the results are all that different. Because people squander even the blessings that God gives them. Do they not? At least we see the government does that, right? Let's unpack this practically for a moment. I don't know if you've ever made this statement. I know I have. If only I had more time, I would use it for the things that matter most to God. Well, how much time did you have outside of sleep that you wasted, checked out, doing nothing that mattered? Just look at it. Be honest. How much of your time did you use in a purposeful manner to serve Him? And I think sometimes we have these misconceptions of what it means to walk faithfully with God and enjoy God in everything that we do. I love that text in Corinthians that says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do we do that? Something as simple as just sitting down with a brother or sister, having a cup of coffee, eating a meal together. Do we do that for the glory of God? We ought to. There should be a greater goal in mind. That doesn't mean we can't laugh at our crazy dad jokes with our kids, or enjoy time of fellowship with one another, point out how horrible, you know, Pastor Roman is at Cornhole. Totally can do that. But remembering behind all of that is a God that we are to give glory to. A God that we serve, who's sovereign, who's placed the people in your lives that He's placed for a purpose, for a reason. Did the thought occur that the psalmist pleaded that God would teach him to number his days? The reliance was on God to show him and teach him, not himself. If you want to be more God-centered, then ask God to show you where you could be. That's the daring prayer, right? Search me and try me, right? That's a very daring prayer. Let me, let me promise you one thing, God will answer that, if you're genuine. He will answer that, and there'll be some things you'll have to confront, and I'll have to confront. Here's another one. If only I had more money, I would give back more to God. That's a common one. We all remember the days that we struggled a lot more, especially if we were early in our marriage. Most of us, when we first were married, we didn't have a big pot of gold in the house. Many of us started broke without much to show for it. But have we seen God increase our wages over the years? Has God blessed us and did our giving go up with that blessing? Did the giving go up in proportion or did we Here's a hard one right now. Did inflation steal that? The problem, brothers and sisters, is more our hearts than it's the amount that we've been given by God. We take the credit many times for what God himself has given to us. How do I know that? Well, the children of Israel had this st statement made to them. Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 18. Listen to what it says. 
Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that He might humble you and He might test you to do, to do, good, do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and, my might of hand, and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant which He swore to your fathers, as it is this day. We need to stop taking the credit. You know the only time we want to blame God for our circumstances is when they don't go our way. Is it not true many times? I'm struggling financially because of all the other circumstances that God never blessed me with that didn't go the way I wanted. We pin the blame on Him. When it goes well, do we not give ourselves a little more credit than we deserve many times? Well, you know, I really worked for it. All that overtime last year, that promotion, I did this, I did that. I'm special. I deserve this. And some of that trickles into our families, does it not? Well, look at my kids. They're doing better than that family's kids. Look at the way that I've got things going on here compared to that person. Every single thing in our lives that we have should always bring us back to giving Him glory. And that means that when we make foolish choices in our lives, we need to realize that we didn't line up to the standard of God's Word and be willing to admit that. You see, the truth is, wherever you are financially, it's because God has given you that ability. Some of us that are struggling more than others is many times due to our neglect of proverbial truths, things that are actually in the Bible of being diligent and debt, the danger of that, that's clearly spelled out in the Bible. We just try to avoid those and pretend that's not going to apply to us. We don't think our money is something that is really given to us by God and that we are to be stewards. Unfortunately for us, our money many times is literally just like the character in Lord of the Rings. Fine. Fine. That's what it is. That's what it is. Our precious, right? Think of where God has led you through life if you're one of His children. How could you take any credit for where you are now? I mean, how could you take any credit? How can I take any credit for where I am today? You see, the key to spiritual restoration is knowing that God and only God can bring us back to Himself. 
You don't need gimmicks. You don't need to feel better with a cute song on the radio to get your blood flowing about the things of God. You need God to bring you back to Himself. And many times that is specifically where the Word of God plays the biggest role in our lives. People want God without wanting to hear from His Word. How's that for a statement? I want more of you, God. I'm speaking. Listen. Open the Word. Anything but that. That's too much. Verse 21 in Lamentations 5. Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. A recognition once again of God's sovereignty over His own people. God, if you turn us back to you, we will be restored. Here's a realization. We can't even restore ourselves. You ever try self-restoration in this life? Anybody make promises to God and others that they ended up not keeping? I call that the self-restoration phase that we all fall into. I'm going to do better next time. I won't do that again. And you end up doing it the next day. For some of us, a couple hours later. Maybe even a few minutes later. That's how horrible we are. You see, the truth is, if God is the one that's to turn us back to Himself, then maybe we need to go plead with Him to work that in our own hearts. Maybe we don't just sit there and try to apply the Word of God without the Spirit of God. You want your prayer life to change? Pray as if it truly depends on God who can change the circumstances in your life, the people in your life, and even you personally. Pray with that in mind. This is a struggle I have. Because sometimes we have almost this um, genie-in-a-bottle approach to prayer with God. I just rub the lamp, God will appear, He'll take my problems away. I don't want us to have that perspective because it's not biblical. I absolutely believe prayer works, but the reason why prayer works is because it's aligned to the will of God. Not because prayer in itself works some kind of magic in the divine, because it doesn't. There are many people that treat God as if He's their puppet. So whatever they pray for, they want God to deliver on in their own time and in their own way. And that is not trusting the sovereignty of God. That is essentially making yourself sovereign, saying, God, submit to me and what my needs are and my wants are. We try everything, do we not? And then we go to God as a last resort. I have tried everything. Have you thought of praying? All right, I'll pray now. The first response should have been prayer, not the last one. We try everything, then go to God in prayer when we should start there first. Before we've messed up in our finances, our relationships, our parenting, our devotion to God. 
You see, calling out to a sovereign God to change what only He can is essential to living a life of humility before Him, believer. After all, we sing songs that connect us to Job, do we not? You give and take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now take that song and let it sink in for a moment. Realizing that God can give and take away. How comfortable are you with that? I'm not that comfortable many times. I like to hold the things that matter to me very close to me. I don't want to give them up. What do you mean God can take away? God, I thought you gave them to me. They're mine now. They're still his. I'm still a steward. My children are not mine. They're given to me by God himself. And I'm to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We all are living on borrowed time. Do you know that? Your time is not your own. Your time is borrowed by an eternal God who gave it to you. If God does give and take away, maybe it would be important for us to recognize His sovereignty in our own lives, not just the circumstances around us. We want God to be sovereign in everyone else's life and all our circumstances. We don't want Him to be sovereign in our own hearts. For Him to rule and reign in our hearts. When was the last time you were willing to own the fact that you've put yourself above God in your own home, parents? When was the last time you were willing to break down in front of your children and say, you know what, I'm sorry, son. The way I responded to you was making myself the center of everything. And I didn't do you a favor by showing you a wrong image of God. Forgive me, son. Forgive me, kids, for the way I spoke to my spouse the other day, my, to your mother. You see, we need to be willing to own the areas that we're always putting ourselves above others and putting ourselves at the level of God and even trying to one-up Him. Renew our days as of old what Jeremiah says here. All of us can look back and see a time when we were closer to God if we've been walking with Him for some time. Can we not? It seemed that life was much better back then. Israel was blessed by Yahweh only to be seemingly rejected by Him because they had severed their relationship with Him. He was always faithful. He was always there. They went after other gods. Ask yourself if your pursuit of God is genuine or not. If your pursuit of God is over the things that you want from Him, then your pursuit of God is not genuine. Your greatest treasure is found in Christ, believer. It's not found in the stuff. It's not found in the people that you can build better relationships with. It's found in Him. Your best life, believer, is found in Him. Always. And that does not 
excuse hardships in life. That doesn't avoid them, that doesn't bypass them. It walks you through the fire. God himself will walk with you. What the world will think is crazy and worthless is most precious. A life that's lived for his glory. Listen, church, don't sell out your faith for a cheap alternative idol on this earth. There are many believers that have sold out their faith for cheap idols. No person, thing, experience could ever provide what God himself can. Don't go for the feeling of being validated as the ultimate source that so many do. When you and I long for God's restoration, there will be specific things that He will require of us. And I want to pause for a moment and make the statement, what God is working on in your heart and in your life at that moment, He may not be walking another person through. And you need to be aware of that. We need to stop being those kind of believers and disciples of Jesus that when God convicts us, we go out of our way to start pointing that out in other people's lives. How many years did it take for God to work certain things in your life out? How many years of pointing that out in your life before you finally said, oh, yeah, that really is me. It wasn't just my neighbor or somebody else. We need to be careful, believer. When God works certain things in our lives that we do not take the approach of going after a brother or sister because now God has convicted us over it. Now, if you believe God wants you to admonish your brother or sister, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But I think sometimes our hearts are very much filled with pride when God works something out in our lives. We don't approach a brother or sister in humility many times. We approach them with a condescending, I'm better than you, I've arrived in this area that you're still struggling with. That hard conversation we may not want to have with a brother or sister must happen at times. But it needs to be done with a humility that we ourselves could trip up in the very area we're confronting. That sin you've constantly pretended doesn't really control your life must be confessed and turned over to Him as God works in our hearts. You see, the truth is, life was simpler for many of us when we were kids, was it not? You didn't have a lot of things to worry about that you do now as an adult. The truth is this, though, and I don't know if you've ever considered it, because I I tend to try to read God's Word literally as much as I can. But we're still children, right? Before our Heavenly Father. Why are there not things that we let Him take control over instead of worrying about ourselves? If our Heavenly Father's got it, why do we not believe it? Have you ever been offended as a parent when your child thinks they know more than you do? I know I have. Maybe you haven't. But they'll approach you and question something that you're doing or what we're doing as a family. And they're like, well, why do we do it like this? And you know full well that you can give them the full, long answer. Or you can give them the short and sweet, I'll tell you when you get older which is sometimes my chosen route. 
I believe there are many things that God teaches us in our lives that we only understand as the years go by. In that moment that we're going through it, we don't get it. We're oblivious. We're like, not listening. I don't want to hear it, God. And five years later, or ten years later, for some of us, many years later, totally get it now. That's what God was trying to show me. And I wasn't listening. I thought I grew up, and I'm still immature in some areas. Our Father has much to teach us about Himself that we have ignored. Listen to this last part here. Unless you have utterly rejected us and are very angry with us. Jeremiah finishes this lament off with a very serious confession once again to God's sovereignty. Meaning, unless you absolutely have rejected us and you're angry with us, God, please restore us. Another recognition of God's divine sovereignty is realization that God can do as He pleases even in rejection. There's a reality check for the world. God can do as He pleases even in rejection. But I thought that God was always accepting. Many that claim that have never read through Scripture for what it says. God has every right to permanently sever his relationship with Judah. But the reason he can't sever that relationship with Judah is because he promised that he would always be their God. It seems as though Jeremiah is ending on a negative note, which is why when Jews would read this book in the synagogue, they would repeat verse 21 again. Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. Renew our days as of old. God would not permanently sever His relationship with the children of Israel. And we see that clearly back in Leviticus. Leviticus 26, verse 44. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord, their God. God will not break His promises. Because God has not broken His promises to Israel, He can be trusted to never break His promises to us. Discipline of his own is always with the intention of restoration of fellowship and relationship with him. God is not disciplining us as his children because he has nothing better to do. He is disciplining us so we come back to him. God is not outright condemning us for leaving him. He is chastening because he longs for us to return and be restored. And for some of us, it may get to the point of severity where he calls us home early. At least according to our standard. God's voice is calling to all of us, come back. Come back. 
Realize that the longer you reject as one of his children, the more severe the chastening that you and I will have to endure. And we're without excuse on that. We have only ourselves to blame. So in conclusion, is God your priority? Is God your priority? God did not owe you this morning as you woke up, but he gave it to you as a gift because he's gracious and long-suffering. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with this week that he gives you? Are you going to make him a priority? If you're away from God, come back. Come back. If you've been wandering away from the fold of God, maybe you're watching this online and you don't feel like you really belong in the context of the local church, but you know that's what God wants you to do. Do you feel disconnected from God and His people? Come back. Don't come back for everybody else. Come back because you want to be in relationship with Him again. Maybe the pursuit of stuff and money has just left you feeling empty when you thought there would be more to all of this. Come back. You'll find such joy and freedom when you return to follow the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. The world will think you're crazy to pursue Christ the way we ought to. But He's worth it. He's worth more than gold. The best life is with Him leading and you following. So many of us want to be leaders in this world, but we're not good followers. We need to follow the Good Shepherd. If you don't know Christ, then today is your day to come into the fold. To repent and admit that you're a sinner. That you can do nothing to save yourself. And that Jesus paid it all. He saves through His death and resurrection. If you believe that, you will be saved. It's when you come to the end of yourself, when I come to the end of myself, that God can do something in my life. God is sovereign... And you and I are still responsible for what we do. I don't want to neglect to make mention of that. Do not excuse your sin and not take responsibility for what you've done in your rejection to His Word. Israel was still responsible for their sin. And God was still sovereign in how He dealt with them. Charles Spurgeon was once asked if he could reconcile these truths to each other. I wouldn't try, he replied. I never reconcile friends. Friends? Yes, friends. That is the point that we have to grasp. In the Bible, divine sovereignty and human responsibility are not enemies. They are not uneasy neighbors. They are not in an endless state of cold war with each other. They are friends and they work together.
Let's return to our sovereign father and bow before his majesty.